Well, in terms of similarities, um, when you will look at the obligations under uh, PIPL, uh, and we will go into that in a minute, um, you will see lots of familiar things. Um, so uh, you have an extraterritorial effect, you have some processing principles. Um, so you have lots of obligations that look similar, but to really call it the similar to GDPR or, or the Chinese GDPR, I understand that's not entirely correct because PIPL, it's, let's say, it's a piece of a very large puzzle. In China, you have a very comprehensive framework with regard to data, with regard to security. Um, and the data laws, they don't uh, only cover personal data, but also other types of data. And so PIPL sits somewhere in that big framework. Mm -hmm. um, and what it does is that it, it consolidates and it clarifies a number of obligations that were already in other laws. Um, but so it, it's a piece of the puzzle. It's an important piece, but it's not, um, as I understand it, it's not like GDPR, where that is really the comprehensive framework. And then you may have some things uh, on the side or underneath that. So, so in that uh, aspect, it's certainly different, um, but will also be different, as I understand from my Asian colleagues, is how they will apply and enforce it in practice. It still remains to be seen because it, it's fairly recent, um, but um, it will probably not uh, be applied and enforced in the same way as, as we do, as, as Europe does with GDPR or as local data protection authorities do uh, which are GDPR because of the different, uh, yeah, of the different nature actually, and also the different uh, culture mm -hmm. uh, in Asia, which is which is a lot uh, different from from the culture in Europe. Okay, so it's similar because it's a privacy law, but broadly speaking, we don't know how it will apply, and you find it different. Help us understand, and you mentioned an important thing, that is part of the puzzle. So help us demystify this puzzle a little bit by helping us understand a few of the key or building blocks or requirements, as we call it, of this Chinese data protection law. Yeah. So as I said, it also has an extraterritorial uh, effect um, mm -hmm. because you must know um, when, when drafting uh, the PIPL, China really looked also at GDPR. I, I think that's clear and other Asian companies do that too. Uh, so I believe they may have gleaned that uh, from Europe, that extraterritorial effect. And, and so they try, um, as far as I understand it, with PIPL to protect um, mainland China residents. Um, so when they are abroad and, and if you would be focusing on those residents uh, and you would be processing uh, their personal data, for example, in the context of uh, analytics or providing products, things that resonate with people that know GDPR. And so it also works with definitions with our, which are a bit similar uh, as under GDPR. They have a definition of personal information. So it's personal information or personal data, uh, but which also relates to information with regard to an identified or identifiable uh, natural person. So that is also very similar, of course. They have um, a definition for sensitive uh, personal information, which is a bit uh, different uh, from GDPR, 
but so they also distinguish like this separate category of sensitive personal information. Mm -hmm. Besides that, we see a number of processing principles. Um, again, very familiar. Um, fairness, you have something on accuracy, you have something on retention. There's a transparency obligation, as I would call it. It's uh, the notice obligation, but that was already before in other laws, I understand. Um, so you have a number of principles. Um, you have in a certain way uh, purpose um, restriction or, or data minimization, which are closely linked. Uh, um, so these things are all familiar. When you work with third parties, uh, with processors, you should also enter into a contract. Um, they have some rules on data transfers, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very hot topic mm -hmm. uh, yes, in, the, in the EU <laughs> well, and everywhere, I think. Um, so where they also have certain restrictions on uh, data transfers. Um, they will have uh, kind of their own standard contractual clauses, but I understand mm. they are not yet issued. Uh, but you can also transfer personal data. I understand if you have uh, passed a certain security evaluation or if you have uh, gone through a certain uh, accreditation procedure uh, or, or certification procedure. Um, so again, all, all very familiar. Eh? Um, so, yeah. But it remains to be seen a bit how it will be applied and enforced um, in practice. Um, so, yeah, that's a bit... Um, the main obligations, uh, also something on incident uh, response, you have notification mm -hmm. obligations uh, to the regulator, to data subjects, uh, a number of rights, um, also uh, right to access data, um, things like that. So yeah, basically, uh, when you hear me <laughs> telling this, you will think, wow, <laughs> it's a totally uh, similar to GDPR. Uh, but as I said, it looks like GDPR, um, but it's, um, yeah, it will probably, and of course, I, I'm not a, a Chinese qualified lawyer and, and I'm European, so, so we, we look at it from, from our culture, uh, but, but it is a different culture in Asia, so, so it, will, uh, it will be interpreted and, and applied in, in line uh, with, with how they look at, at privacy and, and the protection of, uh, of personal data. Absolutely. I think when we look at a privacy law, end of the day, it's a privacy law. It yeah. talks about all the relevant things. You can't define personal data much differently. You can define sensitive data a little bit differently. You can always say which rights you have, but you need to provide the basic rights. So essentially, these are the same elements. The stricter rules or the details is where it matters. And it's like the cars. I mean, whether it's a Ferrari or a Mercedes or a BMW or whichever, it has four wheels, it has a bonnet, it has an engine, it has four, two or four doors, it has seats, and it gets you from one place to another. But it's the experience within which <laughs> determines how the car is, and that's what the privacy laws are. It's the culture of that country, culture of that geography. Remember, India is also working on uh, privacy law yep. for a long time. The first version looked like as if it's a shortened version of GDPR, abstracted into few pages, and when I looked at the second or the third version, there were so many exceptions. It doesn't apply to state. It doesn't apply this, doesn't apply this. So essentially the few leftover private, private companies that they will have to, we have still have to see how it shapes up. But again, you can always start with GDPR, but as you end up, and then when you implement it, it really, really changes the meaning. But 
when we look at Asian laws and especially China as well, there seems to be, and help me understand if it is the case with Chinese law also, there seems to be an over-reliance on consent. I mean, some of the laws in privacy laws in Asia, they even tend to think contract is a consent. While in the European sense of it, contract is not consent. Contract, you sign and then it's there. Consent in our language, European language, you give and you take back. Contract, you don't take back. So our definition, and again, the cultural thing, consent is very, very, very different. But Chinese or even most Asian colleagues tend to rely on consent. Even the Indian privacy law says you should have consent in form of a contract, while for us, contract and consent are two separate bases. So how do you see this? And if you can enlighten us based on your study of other uh, jurisdictions, why is it so that they rely so much, especially in Asia, on consent? Is there a specific reason or maybe it's uh, cultural? It's, uh, I understand the cultural thing. Um, mm -hmm. And that they, um, let's say they, um, it's, it's more of a community culture, so to say, and not focused so much on the private individual. So for them, the community uh, is important. And um, yes, people also, because of that community idea, they, their expectation in terms of privacy and, and as a private individual is, is different. Um, and so they rely on consent. It, uh, it has been like that. And, and I understand that it will remain uh, like that. And, and for them, consent is also in a certain way uh, more straightforward than consent on the GDPR because you, you know consent on the GDPR it comes with a lot of uh, <laughs> of conditions uh, it has yeah. to be informed has to be specific uh, and so on but there it's more like it's given or not it, it it's just more straightforward you ask for consent and mm. and they give it or they don't give it but it doesn't not necessarily have to be um, like informed and specific and meet all these requirements like under, under GDPR. It's more straightforward. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at PIPL, uh, they do distinguish some other legal bases, um, but I understand it's, um, let's say, also more, um, yeah, more on paper or in a sense that these are exceptions more. Um, so, so the let's say for the, the main, the bulk processing activities, you would need consent. And then in certain limited instances, uh, you could do without consent and rely on another legal basis, which is of course totally different because under GDPR, as you know very well, you have six and, and they are equally important, or at least that's the idea. Uh, yeah. uh, although we do tend to see and practice a bit of hierarchy, um, but but um, in the well, the idea is basically that that they are uh, six that the, they have the same value, so to say, and you just have to choose the appropriate one. Uh, but in Asia, it's predominantly consent and, and it will remain like that. And apparently what I understand from colleagues there is that even if something would be based on, on contract um, or something else is, is that um, they would still ask for consent be yeah. because it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's within their culture. But I also understand that in a certain way it works um, that people in China um, they grew up and especially the younger generation with apps and so on and, and that they understand, um, let's say that when they 
when they give their data that there's something in exchange that's a more personalized service or 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 that they can have a discount or something like that um so mm -hmm. yeah that's a bit the the thing with with consent it's uh um for us in in europe I, I think it's a bit hard to grasp because we are so in the yeah in the gdpr system with the six legal bases which were already there under the directive so so it's for a very long time that we're living with that and also with this idea that consent has to meet certain conditions um but um i think yeah it, it's just the way it is eh? we have different cultures and cultures in this world and and we have to um, yeah, to try and understand probably, and and maybe not. I you know, always think that that our approach is is the better one. It, it's just a different approach, um, but but as long um, as it works, um, and and what I understand, it works uh, because I think the IPL and and the privacy laws in 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 China and and the other laws they are, let's say, mainly focused on like preventing abuse. Um, of data, which is probably a bit of a different angle. Of course, GDPR also wants to prevent abuse, but it's it's more the, the main angle is like to empower citizens uh, and and to give rights. So, um, so yeah, it's 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 a different approach, but um, we can say it's I think a more straightforward approach than what we see on the GDPR um, because you have to. Yeah, identify uh, the correct legal basis, uh, which of course with legal obligation and contract, I think um, that is not always so challenging unless if you want to push a lot uh, or bring a lot under a contract, but it's more like when you come in a legitimate interest and things like that, that it might become a bit complicated. And then of course, if you have a system which is mainly consent based and, and then uh, it's, it's more straightforward in a certain way. I, I believe in, in terms of compliance also. Fit for Privacy helps you to create a culture of privacy and manage risks by creating, defining, and implementing a privacy strategy that includes delivering scenario-based training for your staff. We also help those who are looking to get certified in CIPPE, CIPM, and CIPT through on-demand courses that help you prepare and practice for certification exam. Want to know more? Visit www.fitforprivacy.com. That's www.fit, the number four, privacy.com. If you have questions or suggestions, drop an email at hello at fitforprivacy.com. Until next time, goodbye.